everywhere in the world, we all share a similar desire to have uh, a, to experience a very deep love. Uh, we want to experience something on the deepest level of our being, a connection to someone. And you know, if we could define it, although we may not, we may wonder that is this actually possible. But if we could really have it the way we want it and make a definition of what that relationship would be like, we would probably all say that, well, we want someone who really understands us. We want someone that we feel like, you know, we just belong with. It's just easy. You know, um, they belong to me, I belong to them. And you want uh, commitment. You don't want to have to worry. That is, is this person going to change their mind? You don't want to have to work hard at it. You want it to be, I mean, we do, we make the effort, but really if we had a choice, we would want a relationship that was so natural that we didn't even have to work at it. We would want someone who loved us perfectly all the time, loved and supported us all the time, every minute of every day. So some would call that the desire for a soul mate. You know, some people think, well, there's one person out there for me, and when I find that person, then that will happen. I don't know if if you're all, if we're all in the same boat, but I certainly uh, grew up and my whole life that I had that idea in mind from the time I was very young that there's somebody out there who fits that description, that unrealistic description I, I just gave to you, there's someone out there like that, and I'm going to find them. And then I'll be perfectly happy forever. <laughs> so what does Eastern philosophy say, say about that? What do the, uh, the Sanskrit scriptures of India say about that? To really understand, because they give us a lot of knowledge in this, uh, in this area, so we'll start with what they tell us about the soul, which I've spoken about a little bit in some of the past sessions, but tonight I'll go into a little bit more detail. So before we understand you know, whether that relationship is, is even possible, we have to understand more about who we are, where we came from, where we might be going. Then we can talk about relationships. So in a word, we are all souls. So your true self is the soul. Atma is the Sanskrit word. Atma means that which pervades. So our soul pervades our whole entire body. Although the soul itself is very small. The soul is uh, smaller than a pinprick, smaller than an atom. It's the smallest thing you could imagine. In fact, it's said to be infinitesimal, infinitely small. So the soul is so small that it could never be seen, it can't be perceived with you know, our means of perception, yet each of us, as a soul, reside inside our body in here, in the spiritual heart. So the soul is basically centered right in here, but it gives life to and it pervades the entire body. So that's what Atma means, that which pervades. And there's another word, Jeev, or Jeevatma. Jeev means that which gives life. So the soul gives life to the body.
So it's called Jeev or it's called Atma. Or you put the two together and it's called Jeevatma. So, what else do these scriptures tell us about our soul? Well, there are uncountable souls in existence. There's no limit to the number, in fact. There's an unlimited number of souls that exist. But no new souls are ever getting created or destroyed. Whatever souls exist today will continue to exist forever. And whatever souls exist today have always existed since eternity. That's what it means. So there never was a time when we didn't exist. We may have never thought of it in those exact words before, but in our heart, we know that. We know that, yes, I've always been here. It just feels right. There never was a time when I did not exist. And nothing can ever destroy a soul. There's a verse in the Gita that says, Nainam chindanti shastrani nainam dahati pavaka Nachainam kledayantyapo nasho shayati marutaham the soul is indestructible. Ajo nitya shashvato yam purano nahanyate hanyamane sharire. And the soul is not killed by the physical death of the body. So, our true self is the soul, and this body is a temporary possession, just like a house that you live in or a car that you drive. This provide it, this is doing both functions for us. It's a shelter, like a house. It's an, it's an abode where we reside, and it's like a vehicle to get around in. But it's just a temporary possession. When we look in the mirror and we see our face, the, the nose and lips and ears that you're looking at, that's not you. That's just like, that would be the same as thinking that you are the car that you drove in here tonight. We're not our body. But since we can't see our soul, this is kind of what we relate to, yet we can feel in our heart that we're not just the body. It makes sense to us, although we may not have any visible proof, meaning what I'm saying is when, when someone dies, when their body dies, it makes sense to us, it makes sense in our heart that no, that person is not finished. When I die, that won't be the end of me. That feels right inside, and it's not just because we don't want it to be the end of us. It, it just makes sense. It, 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 wouldn't make, it wouldn't make sense for us to just live for this life and be done. Then what is the, what's the use of that? And then you could ask, well, where did we come from, and why is that the end of us? So, according to these Sanskrit scriptures, it's not the end of us. We go on. Yet we can't see it happen. When someone dies, we don't see their soul leave their body and go and take another birth. But we're told that that's how it is. And deep in our heart, it makes sense. So, every soul reincarnates. The soul can take any kind of body, in 
fact. We can be born in any species. We can be born anywhere on this earth planet. We can be born as a man. We can be born as a woman. Naivastri napumaneshu. The Vedas say no soul is specifically male or female. Souls are not gender specific. A soul can be born as a male one life, a female another life, keep changing, switching. But our lives never began. This was another thing I used to wonder when I first heard about reincarnation, and I said, yes, that makes sense. Yeah, we, must, we must have reincarnated. We must have been born other times. But how many other times? That I wasn't sure of until I you know, got the good fortune to... Uh, study this philosophy with my my spiritual teacher and I learned that since every soul is eternal so our lives never had a beginning either meaning we never had a first life you can't go back in time far enough and find out okay here this was my beginning I had this was my first life and then after that I did this and after that I did that there was no beginning so that kind of concept is inconceivable to a material intellect. If you really try to think about it, your brain just kind of freezes. That, what? I never began? I never had a first life? Because we, everything we know has a beginning and an end. You know, you see uh, physically things are born and, and things die. So an unlimited concept can't fit into our limited intellect. Yet, that's what, that's how it's said, that we have all been here forever, taking life after life after life. So, I guess that's both comforting and disconcerting at the same time, that, you know, well, I've been doing this forever, and I'm still here today, I'm still managing, you know, so it can give you a little bit of perspective, you know, that we worry about so many things and all the little things that we we spend our life worrying about. Well, they're not so big in the you know that larger perspective. It's not such a big deal. I'm sure we've dealt with more difficult things in many of our past lifetimes. And it's disconcerting because we wonder, well, you mean I've been at it for this long and I still haven't found the answer? So that's disconcerting. But we take hope again knowing that, well, we'll have uncountable more lifetimes if we need them in order to figure it out. We're not going anywhere. Nothing is ever going to happen to us that would put an end to us. So that's the soul. And the soul keeps reincarnating. And the soul reincarnates according to its actions, his or her actions, depending what kind of body you were born into in this life. And those actions are called karma. In the West, you're probably more familiar with uh, the pronunciation karma or karma. <laughs> but uh, in, in Sanskrit, there's actually, I'll give you a little quick little Sanskrit lesson. There are uh, consonants like the letter K consonant. So you have aspirated and unaspirated consonants in, in Sanskrit. So KH would be ka, and K would just be ka, no, no breath coming out. So it's actually ka in 
And then the vowels are either long or short. So you, the letter A in uh, English could be said one of two ways in Sanskrit. A long A, like in car, or a short A, like America, A. So it's actually, the, the word karma is ka, not ka, karma. It's karma, karma. Anyway, it doesn't matter. As long as you understand the concept, the pronunciation doesn't really matter. But uh, karma means you do actions and you get the results. Very simple. So all the actions we're performing in this life, which include not only our physical actions, but also what we say and even what we think, it all counts. And in fact, the thinking part is the most important because... How do you judge whether someone's physical action is good or bad? Depends on the mental intention behind it. So in fact, it's, our, it's only our thoughts that are counted as karma. The physical movement of our body doesn't count for anything. The intent behind it is what counts. So all of every moment of every day, we're performing some kind of karma, and it's all classified as good or bad, depending on what our intention is, whether it's to help someone or whether it's to do harm to someone, or you can say there's some neutral karma as well, like brushing your teeth. But we're always doing something. <clears throat> so think of it like this. We're packing a suitcase for a trip. The trip is when this body dies, we go and we take another birth. We're reborn. So what do we get to take with us into that next life? All of our karma from this life. So you're packing your bag. Every, every action you perform, you're putting something in the bag. Is it a good something or a bad something? That depends on your intention. So think of it like someone, you know, they're packing their bag, they put some uh, perfume in there, so they'll have that when they arrive to their destination. So you put something nice. Let's say you put a, a rotten banana in there. And so when you get to your destination and you open up the bag, it's spoiled. That's like doing good and bad actions. And when we get to our next life, we unpack the bag. And whatever you put in in your previous life, that's what you take out in this life. So that's the way karma works. But you get the physical reaction of the karma in your next life, not in this life. Your, your mind is affected by everything you think. So you can say, in a way, the karma you're performing, the, the thoughts you're having in this life, they do affect you immediately. They affect how you feel. They, you can say, whatever, however you think, you develop a tendency to keep thinking in that direction. So in that way, you're getting an immediate result for every action that you perform but there's going to be a physical reaction as well. That's reserved for the next life. So there's no instant karma, as John Lennon said, instant karma is going to get you. Well, it doesn't happen that way. It happens that way in here. You feel the effect of your thoughts, but the physical outcome, that happens in the next life. So the things that happen to us that are out of our control, that we call good luck or bad luck, 
those are actually the fruit of our past lives' actions. So there's nothing random about it whatsoever. We might not see it coming, but it's been coming since we performed that action and it just took this long to get here. So the good things... <laughs> yeah, and there's no, get, there's no getting out of it. You know, once, the, once the action's been performed, then we have to get the result. So it's said that uh, we have total freedom, total free will to perform any action we want. But we, we don't have the freedom to choose whether to get the result of that action or not. Once we've perf done something, the result is going to come. So that's also called the law of karma, that you, you, you get whatever, whatever you did. You sow what you reap. So there's no such thing as random good luck or random bad luck. We earned our good luck or we earned our bad luck in our previous lifetimes. So that affects our lives in many ways, but it's important to keep in mind that the two go together. The destiny, the certain things that are destined, the good luck or the bad luck that's destined to come to you in this life, that's fixed that's given to you, that you have, you have to undergo these things in this life. But you still have free will. Your free will is not affected by your good or bad luck. So you're also performing more actions and simultaneously undergoing the, the, the results of your previous life's actions. So you're either enjoying or suffering things in the world according to what you did previously, but then what do you do with that? You know, if you're given lemons, do you make lemonade? Or do you just cry about it? So it's up to us how we respond to each individual situation. So that's a very uh, brief summary, you can say, of the... Uh, it's, I really simplified it about the law of karma and what is souls and how do souls reincarnate but uh, before I, I show you how this applies to tonight's topic, I just wanted to see if there are any questions on, on these rather deep topics. I have sort of a basic question. Sure. So there's <clears throat> no way to resolve anything we've done in this lifetime, in this lifetime. Ah, good question. See, I told you I oversimplified it. Yes, you can, actually. And in fact, that is said to be one of the reasons why all of those actions, they don't fructify in this life. They're held over until the next life in case, just in case, someone knows they did something wrong and they want to atone for it. You can do that in this life. You can make up for it. Just kind of like uh, admitting you're wrong and trying to set it right. So then you can wipe out what would have been the effect of that action. So if we don't do that by the time we die, then it's like, uh, you know, you get the maximum sentence. <laughs> Whereas if you try to atone for it in this life, that's like pleading guilty for a lesser sentence. <laughs> Cutting a deal. <laughs> Can you atone for stuff from past life? Not from past lifetimes. Once, once we're done, then that's... Because we can't even remember what we did. And imagine, even if someone could uh, somehow access their memories from 
uh, their most recent life, or two or three or five lifetimes. We're talking about billions, trillions, unlimited lifetimes. So those um, specific types of guilt, they won't use a <laughs> specific type. Or just, you're done. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing you can... Yeah, I mean, guilt is different. I mean, with regards to, now, okay, oh, now that I know this, now what? You know, I can atone for what doing now, but... That's right. So, but for now, I'm... Well, what, what it means is that whatever is going to come to you in this life, don't worry about it. Oh. Take it as it comes. Yeah. That's the good news and the bad news. That's right. So, see if uh, some people look into trying to change their destiny. They try to figure out what is their horoscope and what's coming on this day and what's coming on that day and what can I do to mitigate certain things. In fact, it's it's fixed. If something is bound to happen, then it's going to happen. And that, that means things like uh, an accident. So some accidents are just meant to happen. You look at the... Uh, the number of factors involved in an accident actually taking place. And then in that, let's say there's a car accident. There are multiple people in the car. And, you know, some of them may be seriously injured. Some of them may not even have a scratch on them. So how is all of that figured out? That's an incredibly complex thing. You think of just the, the forces involved in a car crash. How is it... Uh, determined who gets what injury. That's all that that's why it's said that the force of karma is more powerful than the force of gravity. Mm. It's a force of the universe that actually controls there's nothing random. It doesn't mean that every moment of your life is predestined, but what is destined is it happens in a very uh, specific way. So you just don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, let it go. This is what you can control yeah. in here. Can't control what's going on out there. And that should be a relief. Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's how we should take it. That um, whatever is destined to happen is going to happen. So, phew, I don't have to worry about it. I'll worry about what's going on in here. And then whatever's coming to me is coming. Could we change our destiny or repair our fault in the past, in no. this lifetime? No, not, not destiny that's been created from your past lifetimes. That just has to be undergone. Because how could you repair it? You don't even know what actions you did in your past lifetime. You'd have to have the specific, oh, I did this thing, so I need to do that. All that memory is buried so deep in your unconscious that you can't access it. So what are you going conscious. to atone for? <laughs> you can atone for what you remember, right? Right. So you can atone for things you've done in this life. Mm. Any other questions? Did you have a question? Well, I think you kind of answered it, but it was just sort of like asking for an example of, like, you know, can you distinguish, or can you distinguish between an accident that's destined and an accident that's based on your carelessness? Yeah, you can't really tell. Even when it comes to health issues, certain illnesses are predestined, and they have to be undergone. 
<laughs> and they can't be, you know, some illnesses doctors think they should be able to cure and they've been able to cure other people and why can't I cure you? Because it's destined. But you still have to go undergo the treatment because if you don't, there will be other complications that could arise that weren't destined. So even if you think it's part of your destiny, you still have to treat it as a normal thinking person would. <laughs> and uh, then, you know, there are illnesses that arise in the body because of our bad habits, unhealthy living. So we can all just correct that and see what we can what we can fix. I think probably 90% of it is because of our own bad habits. There's just a few things that come as part of our destiny. When we're reborn, um, do we have any residual feelings about our past life, like guilt, shame, anything like that? Is that, or is it a clean slate and you don't have any recollection? No, we don't get a clean slate. This, in fact, the mind goes with the soul which is why we have a distinct and different personalities. Because remember what I was saying, your thinking affects how you feel and it affects it actually affects your mind. There's another term that's called it's called a sanskar. So the sanskar is what happens in here in the subtle energy of the mind. Whenever we have a thought, it creates a subtle imprint, kind of like if you uh, like a on photographic paper. You know, it's exposed and makes an imprint like that. Although nowadays cameras are digital. <laughs> but uh, it's like that. There's some kind of subtle imprint left on the mind. And those imprints collect in the mind. And uh, they that's how a person evolves certain qualities in their mind, good qualities or bad qualities. That's how we change ourselves. Um, and all of that comes with us into the next life. So... You can say that whoever you were mentally, however you were at the time of death, you start in the exact same place. You mentioned earlier that um, the souls have always existed. Does the scripture say anything about God creating the souls at some point? No, because um, then we would have had a beginning point. So, in fact, it says that we're as old as God. But there is a distinction made that God gives life to the souls. Meaning, like our soul gives life to our body. Well, God is inside each soul giving life to that soul. Otherwise, we wouldn't be alive. But that has been the situation since eternity. God didn't just wake up one morning and say, I'm going to create some souls. We've always been here. If he had done that, then we could really complain. Why did he make me like this? What's the matter with you, you know? <laughs> you couldn't have done any better than this? We do. <laughs> And the same goes for the world or the universe. If God had created the universe, then we could really complain, you know, why did you make evil? Why did you make why are, why didn't you make the world perfect? You just wanted to see us suffer or what? But the world has always been here also. 
So the universe is just an energy and God activates the energy so it evolves into the form of the universe but it does so in a kind of an automatic way like a computer program. The computer just runs according to the way it's programmed. So the, the energy is called Maya. It starts in a subtle form like a seed form and then God activates it like flipping a switch. So then once it becomes active, it unfolds into the visible physical universe. But whatever is the nature of that energy, it just manifests outwardly. Just like the seed, let's say it's a seed of a cactus. So if you water it, then the seed will germinate and the cactus will grow. But is it the water's fault that a cactus grew instead of a gardenia? Whatever was the nature of the seed, the, the water just brought it out. So in the same way, this world has its own innate qualities of good and bad, a mixture. So they're there in that seed form. God just activates it, and the universe is manifested with all of its good and bad qualities. Then God dissolves it, but it, that, it doesn't disappear. It just goes back into that seed. Then again, he activates it. So it's an eternal cycle of creation and dissolution of the universe. So we've always been here, just taking birth after birth after birth, somewhere in this universe. Any other questions? Okay, so now let's come back to relationships and talk about, is it possible, first of all, for two souls to be soulmates? Or is there some other situation that we have to look towards? So, you can say in a way we're all mates, meaning like, g'day mate, like in <laughs> Australia, we're all friends, we're all, we're all buddies, we're all brothers and sisters, because we're all the same. Our souls are not greater or lesser than each other. It's just a question of the mind, actually. You know, how, how have we evolved spiritually over our lifetimes? That's what differentiates people's personalities. But as souls, we're all equal. So in that way, we're all brothers and sisters. And we all have the same supreme divine power giving life to us. So there's one supreme divine power we call Paramatma. Remember I said our soul is referred to as Atma, which means that which pervades. Well, Paramatma. Param means supreme. So Paramatma, the supreme soul of all the souls. So one single supreme power resides in each individual soul, giving life to that soul. So in that way, we all have the same source, and so we're all brothers and sisters. But our relationship to each other has been described like this. Like the ocean, imagine an endless ocean, and on that ocean there are billions and trillions of waves. So each individual wave is an individual soul. Now those souls, they all are floating around out there on the ocean. The, uh, the waves are moving around on the ocean. 
two waves may come together. Of all the waves out there on the ocean, a couple waves might come together momentarily. And then again, they go on their separate ways. So that wave-to-wave -wave relationship is a temporary relationship. It's situational. But the wave's relationship with the ocean is permanent. Something like that, souls come together and then they go their separate ways. But the soul's relationship with God is permanent, eternal. Although you can't change the fact that we're all brothers and sisters. But as far as have being together all the time with one soul, or if you find your soulmate, you would stay with that person forever. It doesn't work that way, and the reason is because of our karma. Souls have different actions that they perform, and then when they die, according to their actions, they'll go into their, they'll be given their next birth and the next situation that they're going to be born into according to the actions they performed in that life. So it's like, uh, it's also described in this way, like a train. You get on the train, let's say you got on, the train originated somewhere else and you got on partway, so when you get on the train, there are other people there in the car that you entered. You sit down, maybe you strike up a conversation. You're enjoying each other's company. And as you go, you reach different people's stops. So someone you're enjoying talking to might just get up and get off the train. And you're like, hey, where are you going? Mm -hmm. I was enjoying your company. Well, this is my stop. I have to get off here. Oh, well, my stop's farther ahead. Okay, so but someone else got on the train at that stop too. In other words, someone new came into your life. Someone left your life. Someone died. Someone got off the train. People come into our lives and out of our lives. And even if we spend our whole life with one person, yet when, once you get off the train, you generally go separate directions. It does happen that you could be with the same people for several lifetimes in a row because we do tend to be reborn in the field of our attachments. But there's no guarantee that you're going to die at the exact same time. So maybe someone that you love very dearly dies before you, so then they'll go on and get reborn and be involved in their life. And even if you're re reborn in the same house or the same neighborhood, You'll be of different ages. You won't remember your relationship from the past life. Or maybe, let's say, uh, they die well before you. They could be reborn as your own child. Who knows? Then you die and you get reborn as their child or grandchild and it keeps going like this. So in that way, in fact, we've had different relationships with all the different souls in uncountable lifetimes We've been somebody's mother, somebody's father, somebody's spouse, somebody's child, and it just keeps changing in every life because souls are not designated that you're a man or you're a woman and you're always going to have this relationship with this other soul. It keeps changing in every life. So then you could say, you know, what relationship haven't we had with every other soul? We've had all the kinds of relationships with all the other souls. And here we are today still seeking that perfection 
looking for our soulmate. So from eternity until now, if we haven't found our soulmate in this pool of souls in this universe, so when is it going to happen? But don't be discouraged, don't be disheartened. The knowledge of these Sanskrit scriptures tells us that this is just how it is amongst souls. We get temporary relationships, and then we go our separate ways. In every life, you form different relationships with different people, or, or different relationships with the same souls, and even then we don't remember it. And even those relationships, while we're enjoying them, they're not perfect, because each individual person has their own needs, their own desires, their own fickle mind, which one minute wants this and the next minute wants that. So all the people in the world are like this, which means that if we have even a minute where we're getting along with someone, we should think it's like a miracle. When you look at the human mind and, and look at the fact that we all have our own personal need for happiness, and that comes first, and then in addition to that, you look at the change of the variable nature of our thinking, that we get bored with things, and, and even the same thing that we used to love, we'll, we'll get tired of, or we'll, we'll start disliking that thing, or that person. When our mind is so fickle, and we're all interested in our own personal happiness, then we should, we should not be surprised if someone else doesn't support us or, or doesn't like us or, you know, we should, it should be the opposite. We should be surprised when we do get support because everybody is, you think about how self-absorbed we are, just think in your own mind how self-absorbed you are. That our whole day we're thinking about how, what do I need? How can I get happiness? What do I want this person to do for me? What do I really? We might spend one percent of the day thinking about someone else, and that's just our nature. That's how we are. So then, why, when we're like that, why do we expect others not to be like that? It doesn't make sense. So this is the nature of worldly relationships, and when you know. When that's the case, then how can we expect to find perfection? It's not realistic. It's not realistic to expect another soul who's in the same boat we are to somehow magically, like, you know, we're not perfect. We're not feeling whole and complete. Neither is anybody else, but magically, somehow, if you've put the two right souls together, it'll just be, oh, we're whole and complete, <laughs> the perfection. Two wrongs don't make a right, come on. <laughs> so, we just have to accept this uh, fact that worldly relationships are imperfect. And when we interact with other people, we have to accept that we have our needs and desires, and so do they, and sometimes they mesh, and sometimes they don't, and we just have to try to work it out to uh, you know, a harmonic state as best as, as best as possible. But that is not to say that this inner desire we feel to find that perfection, that's not to say that we shouldn't be desiring it. 
So that's where our relationship with God comes in. Because God is already perfect. And God doesn't have any kind of limitations. Limitations that we face in this world, like, you know, maybe you're in love with someone, but they have to work in a different city or on the other side of the country. So then you have to deal with the fact that you're not physically in the same place as the person you love. No problem with God. God is everywhere. So you don't have to go in. You just think of God and God is there. Secondly, God has no personal needs. In other words, God is the only one who could say, I don't need anything from you. We, we all need something from each other, definitely. That's why we enter into relationships. It's like a tacit agreement, unspoken agreement, that you know, you'll give me something I need to feel good, and I'll try to do the same to you. God doesn't need anything from anybody. God is self-complacent. Uh, God is already experiencing unlimited bliss all the time. So what could God need from any other person? But the nature of someone who's experiencing happiness is to want to give it to others. So that's why the relationship with God can be perfect. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't it be nice, right? If some, we're, we're all looking for something we don't have, which is happiness, perfect love. And we're looking for it from other people who also don't have it. But there is a source of that. Or you can say God is in here as well. So we have to experience that. We have to experience our relationship with God if we want to experience perfect love. That's the only way. So you can say we all have a soulmate. Definitely. But we all have the same soulmate. <laughs> we, don't have to, we don't have to fight over him. <laughs> That's another limitation you don't have to worry about with God. You know, if two people love the same person in this world, then you have a problem. <laughs> but unlimited souls can love God. And God can provide perfect love to unlimited souls simultaneously. In fact, there's a... Uh, there's an event that's described that happened a long time ago. One time, you see, there are certain... Uh, because God is not limited in any way, God can have a form. Sure, why not? If you say God can't have a form, then you're putting a limitation on God. Now, my intellect says <laughs> you can't have a form. So, God has unlimited forms. One single God could appear in any form, anywhere, because God is already everywhere. So, if God wanted to, do you think God could just visit this earth planet, come down, walk around in a human-like form? Sure. Why wouldn't God have a human-like form? Human beings want to relate to God, don't they? Are you going to relate to a formless energy? I, I want perfect love, and I want it from a formless energy. It doesn't make sense. You want to love somebody, right? Somebody. They have to have a body. So God's body, if you think of what, what would God's body be like? Well, God would be unlimitedly beautiful, charming, attractive, ever youthful, ever ever knew you would never get bored looking at God's divine beauty. Mm. 
And God also exists simultaneously in male form and female form. So you can say he or you can say she. So the story I was going to tell you is that God visited the earth planet in the form of Ram. Some of you have probably heard the name Ram. So there were other saints. Saints are souls who have actually attained God. So here tonight I'm talking to you about the possibility of experiencing a relationship with God. And if you ever actually do that, then you'll become a saint. So when God visited the earth planet, there were many saints who came along with him. God went on a little journey. He was gone for 14 years, wandering in the jungles. And when he came back to where all of those saints were living, they were all so excited to see him. They all wanted to greet him first. So there was a problem. Ram was thinking, who should I greet first? <laughs> there are thousands of saints here who, who want me to come to them first. So it's told in the Ramayana that he met them all simultaneously. It's no problem for God. He just took in unlimited forms, or you can say how many ever forms there were people, and he met them each individually, and each person thought, Ram came to me first. Mm. Out of everybody, he came to me first. So, with God, there's no feeling of, you know, competition, that does he love this one more? That's something we worry about in the world, too. Jealousy. That uh, even the one we love, we're always looking. Did you? Did he look at her? <laughs> or you know, even amongst friends, you know, which friend loves me the most, or do they love someone else more than than they love me? You don't have to worry with God. You you have whatever relationship you want. There's another uh, really important verse from the Gita. That says, Ye yatha maam prapadyante myaham. However, a soul loves God, God loves that soul the exact same way in return. So you don't have to worry. You know, in the world, you're always trying to guess how much does the other person love me? Do they love me? In what way do they think of me? Whatever way you think of him or her, he loves you the same way in return. Very simple. So it's all up to us. There's no problem. There's no limitation. In other words, it's perfect. There's nothing to make it difficult. All the, all the obstacles are removed. So the only thing that remains is the question of how do we experience that relationship. And that's what I've been teaching you in the last two sessions, is that through the chanting and through meditating on... Uh, your relationship with God, you can begin to experience that and you evolve that feeling inside. By doing the chanting, that actually evolves and purifies our heart. So all of those past actions that are stored in our mind from uncountable past lifetimes, some of those create a blockage actually in our ability to experience our relationship with God. So simply by doing the chanting and meditating on our relationship with God, that clears all of that out. 
It's a process. It takes time, but it actually cleans it up so that you start becoming, you just experience more and more and more. And once the heart is completely purified, then the connection with God is absolute. And then God appears before you in whatever form you worshipped or in whatever form you thought of God. God appears before you in that form. So it's not an imagined relationship. It's a real relationship. For now, we're thinking of it in our mind. You close your eyes, you do the chanting, you imagine God in front of you in male form, female form, any age you want, any relationship you want to have. And then you do experience something, and that's not purely imagination. It starts with your imagination, but then what you experience is real. Because God is here with you. So you're experiencing the reality of that connection with God. That melting of the heart you feel, or whatever, something you feel when you do the chanting meditation. That continues to evolve to the point when you become God-realized, when your heart is perfectly purified, then <clears throat> it's not an idea. You physically meet God. So you want to have a relationship with God? Go. Walk, talk, play, joke around. It's up to you what kind of relationship you want with God.